It's FAQ NYC Presents, where the only podcast in the only city in the world brings in other voices to dig into what it's all about. I'm Harry Siegel, co-host and executive producer of FAQ NYC, and right now you're going to be hearing part three of Hazard NYC, a four-part limited series looking at New York's four federal Superfund sites. Hazard NYC is hosted by Samantha Maldonado of the City and independent journalist Jordan Gaspore. Hazard NYC was made possible by support from the Fund for Investigative Journalism. The project was produced in partnership with the McGraw Center for Business Journalism at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism and is part of the Pulitzer Center's Connected Coastlines Initiative. For more information, go to pulitzercenter.org forward slash connected hyphen coastlines. Hazard NYC is supported in part by New Lab a platform helping deep tech startups succeed to address the climate crisis. Learn more at newlab.com. Let's jump right in. It was late August last year, and I was in Ridgewood, Queens, in an overgrown lot right near the border of Bushwick in Brooklyn. I watched as three men tried to haul out old cars from the lot behind their auto shop. The men were using a red van to pull out a junked-up silver sedan. It wasn't going smoothly. The van was smoking, and the bumper came off the car. The man driving the van, Alberto, owned the auto shop. He had worked there for over 25 years. By the next day, he and his staff would have to leave. This one, I had to clean it. Uh, the whole yard? Yes. Their move would be the first step in cleaning up a Superfund site. This is Hazard NYC, a mini-series from FAQ NYC. I'm Samantha Maldonado, a reporter with The City. And I'm Jordan Gospore, an independent journalist and podcast producer. On this episode, we head to a small plot of land where officials found radiological contamination. Alberto's auto shop sits on top of land formerly occupied by the Wolf Allport Chemical Company. We'll get to what that was in a bit, but the thing to know is that for years, Alberto and his staff had been working around potentially dangerous levels of radiation. Alberto says he was concerned about the health risks associated with that radiation. Right now, he got a radiation on the floor. I never know that. It came very bad. Are you worried? Yes. Alberto and his staff wear matching navy blue uniforms with their names embroidered on them. And they're surrounded by metal and the rumblings of engines awaiting repair. 27 years in, in the business. And by now, I don't have a business. Now it's everything shut up. I, I'm crazy right now. I got my hands tight. Alberto did end up moving. So did the other businesses on the block, a deli and another auto repair shop. What was happening to them now had everything to do with the land's history of contamination. Funny enough, when I visited Alberto at work, it was around the same time a certain blockbuster movie hit theaters. I'm guessing you mean Oppenheimer if we're talking about radiation? That's right. So was the atomic bomb involved somehow? Yep. The natural power of the universe is harnessed in the new atomic bomb. The radiological contamination on the land Alberto and his staff worked on came from the Wolf Allport Chemical Company. We mentioned this earlier. That company helped the U.S. develop nuclear weapons. So I think that the key to understanding this story is understanding the history of nuclear New York. 
That's Matthew Bolton, a political science professor at Pace University. The Manhattan Project was so named because it began in Manhattan. During World War II, the Manhattan Project was the country's secret effort to build an atomic bomb. Matthew says the project was a collaboration between the feds and other scientific minds from around the world. The early Manhattan Project was a massive subcontracting effort where they tried to buy the expertise, the raw materials, the labor, the skills of the private sector in and around New York City initially. And most of those were in kind of like peripheral industrial zones. After the war, the feds created the Atomic Energy Commission to ramp up the development of nuclear weapons. The commission, a predecessor to the U.S. Department of Energy, contracted with the Wolf Alport Chemical Company in the late 1940s. Until the mid-1950s, the company processed monazite sands to extract rare earth minerals they could sell. That sand contains the radioactive substances thorium and uranium. So does the waste that was created in the process. The company disposed of their waste product by burying it in the soil and dumping it down the nearby sewers. The Manhattan Project and the early nuclear weapons program after the war are happening at breakneck speed. There aren't very clear radiation protection standards in place. And even the ones that were, were often not followed carefully. The Wolf Allport Chemical Company kept dumping its waste around until 1947, when the feds told the company to stop. The company then sold the waste to the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission. In 1954, the company closed, but what was left behind lives on. Testing in the late 80s revealed radiological contamination in the soil and in the floors and walls of the buildings on the site. Because the monazite sand was shipped to the company's site via rail, contamination was also found beneath a railroad spur. But the levels were below regulatory standards at the time. Even so, the city and state kept investigating the site in the following decades. The contamination stayed the same, but the regulatory standards for risky levels became stricter. The Federal Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry conducted a review of the site in 2012. Officials found possible health risks to workers in the area and to people who often strolled along the sidewalks. Those findings compelled the state to ask the EPA to get involved. In 2014, the EPA designated the triangular patch of land a Superfund site and got moving to clean it up. That's around the time Julie Dent learned more about the area. I grew up in Bushwick. You always heard about it. You know, they did something up here with the atomic bombs, so on and so forth. But then you don't, you don't really put so much emphasis on it at the time. So when they decided whatever they were going to do and, you know, with the environmental protection and cleanup, that's when I started really looking into it then. Julie was on the local community board for over 30 years and attended countless meetings about the Superfund site. One day, Julie says she noticed some workers examining the sidewalks in the area. You know, me, I said, well, what are they doing to the sidewalks? So I went down and I asked them, so they told me what they were testing for. And then someone from the um, environmental protection, they came and they met with me and they explained what was going on. The EPA was testing for radon. That's a radioactive gas that can cause lung cancer. It's a decayed product of thorium and uranium. There's a daycare center and a public elementary school about two blocks away from the Wolf Allport Chemical Company site. And for 25 years, Julie was the director of that daycare. She says she was worried the kids might get sick. Because you do hear about some of the um, 
sites where there is a lot of chemicals or whatever, and they say children end up getting cancer or, you know, different things like that. So, of course, you're concerned about the children. Their safety, you know, is paramount. The EPA ended up testing the daycare center and the school to make sure everything was okay. When they did the testing inside of the center, they put down little, I don't know what they were, but they were little containers or something, and they would put them throughout the center over the weekend, and then they would come in early Monday morning before the children arrived, and they would pick them up. Andrew Karam, a radiation expert and health physicist, performed some of that testing at the time. Spent an awful lot of time trying to make sure that there wasn't any way that the radioactivity could have escaped from the site. He studied the Wolf Allport site for several years, starting in 2009. After testing, the EPA determined the daycare center was in the clear, but officials did find something at the school. The only place where we found elevated levels was inside a hole in the concrete in the basement in a place where no student or no adult would go. The EPA sealed the hole and monitored it. Andrew wasn't concerned. If somebody farts in an elevator, it smells worse than if they're outside. And basically, that's the effect that they had there. There was this little pocket that everything was going into, and it just collected there. On and around the site itself, the EPA took other measures to protect people and workers. Here's Laura Smithsteins, a human health risk assessor with the EPA. The more time that you're exposed to something, the you know, the more likely that it could impact your DNA and lead to cancer. You want to decrease your time, increase your distance, and increase your shielding from these sorts of contaminants. To block radiation exposure, the EPA installed shielding made of lead, steel, and concrete inside some of the properties on the site and over the sidewalk. They also installed a mitigation system in one of the buildings. This is basically like what we saw in the home of an East Williamsburg resident in the previous episode about the Meeker Avenue plume. The system helps vent out any possible toxic fumes so they don't build up indoors. Here's EPA project manager Tom Mangelli. Depending on where you're looking in the building, the, the mitigation measures were successful in reducing radiation exposure uh, anywhere from 60 to about 95%, which is great. But they were always intended to be a short-term solution to a, a larger problem. The EPA wanted to do more in the long term to clean up the site. So they came up with a plan. The first step was getting the site cleared. It's the tenant relocations. Even though the Wolf Allport Chemical Company closed decades ago, the area remained home to a few local businesses. In recent years, those included a beverage distributor, an ice cellar, a construction company, an ironwork company, and a deli. But as part of the cleanup plan for the site, which the EPA developed in 2017, all the businesses had to leave. Just like Alberto, the owner of the auto shop we met at the top of the episode. That clears the way for the next steps of the cleanup. The building demolition, which won't be completed until some time late spring, maybe early summer 2024, the soil excavation would follow, and that should take another one to two years to complete. That's EPA's portion of the cleanup. New York City is also on the hook for part of the cleanup since it owns the sewers and sidewalks that are contaminated. The city will have to remediate those areas too. The idea is to get rid of all the pollution, or as much as possible, to reduce people's exposure to radiation. If the waste remained, it would take literally billions of years for it to decay. It is a long-term health concern for people who are, are living or working in those buildings. And it would continue to be essentially forever. As early as 2017, 
the business owners knew they'd have to pack up, but they didn't. Even when the EPA set a deadline for them in 2021 to leave by the following year. You know, that deadline came and went. And so we did unfortunately have to end up going through the Department of Justice and taking the tenants to court. In 2023, a federal judge ordered all the businesses out by the end of that August. And that was when I was with Alberto as he started the move-out process. The business owners weren't pleased, even though the EPA said they'd get money to help with moving costs. I haven't seen nobody turn to a zombie or anything or die, so... Andy Bermio was an auto shop owner on the site. He said he thought the offer wasn't enough and that the concerns around contamination were overblown. It sucks, but it is what it is. You gotta move on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you gotta, you know, what you gotta do. Andy's business was the final one left at the site last September, but he eventually left too. He got $40,000 from the EPA and set up his shop in Greenpoint. For what it's worth, the risks of cancer and other health effects from radiation exposure really depends on the amount and for how long. The city's Hazard NYC podcast is supported in part by Brooklyn Solar Works, a solar design and installation firm dedicated to helping homes and buildings in New York City reduce their energy costs and their carbon footprints. Want to know if your home or building is right for solar? Schedule a free consultation by visiting brooklynsolarworks.com or by calling 347-712-3915. We're supposed to turn that way, I think. This way? Okay. Last fall, I went out to the Wolf Alport site with Andrew to see how he measured radiation levels. He brought two different types of radiation detectors that, when used together, would help us get a better idea of the radiation levels at the site. I remember right, the hottest spots outside were right down here in front of Primo. So I'm up to 25 on this one. Yeah, this one's up to 27. Before this, the last time he was at the site was in 2013. Back then, and in the previous years, he tried to understand the risks of exposure. This business right here, they're doing auto repair, which means that guys are sometimes laying on their backs underneath the cars, changing the oil, changing the tires or whatever. How long do they spend doing that each day? Where are they doing it? Because the dose rate over at one location might be twice what it is, just maybe 10 feet away. Andrew says there's no real reason to worry about radiation exposure at the Wolf Allport site. But it's an opinion that differs from the EPA. To my mind, the risk of working there from the radiation was no greater than the risk that they would have of just working any job. And so I felt that a sensible approach would be to try to encapsulate it rather than to try to remove it. And my boss disagreed with that. His boss prevailed. The EPA did consider putting a cap over the contaminated areas, but decided against it. In part, that's because the agency would have to continually monitor the site for leaks and conduct sampling until the contamination finally broke down after billions of years. Through his work, Andrew says in other places, he's detected higher levels of radiation than what he's ever found at the Wolf Alport site. It's true, radiation can cause cancer and you can die of radiation-induced cancer. It can cause birth defects and all these other things. It just takes much more to do any of those than what most people believe. How do we square Andrew's perspective with the EPAs? David Brenner explains. He directs the Center for Radiological Research at Columbia. There is one school of thought that at very low levels, there's a threshold, and below that, there's really zero risk. The other school of thought, which probably I'm in that, the latter camp, is that as you go down in dose, the risk becomes lower and lower and lower. And as you go down in dose even more, the risk becomes lower and lower and lower. 
but never actually becomes zero. It's still there. It's just very, very small. And while some auto shop employees spent years working at the site, it makes sense that they might not experience any health impacts. Here's Laura again. You know, it's not a one-to-one that this exposure will result in this health effect. You know, it increases the likelihood that it will happen. Laura says other factors can contribute to the likelihood of whether people would be affected by radiation, like their genetic history or whether they smoke. You know, there's a whole mix of things that each human has, you know, based on who they are and where they've grown up and, you know, their hobbies and whatnot. So it's really hard to say whether this exposure will result in cancer for any one person there. In the fall of 2023, I met up with Julie Dent, the longtime fixture of the community and former director of the local daycare center. We walked the two blocks from the daycare up to the Wolf Allport site. Kids at the nearby elementary school were just getting out for recess. As we passed shiny apartment buildings and tidy row homes, Julie peered down streets with warehouses and new businesses. All of this is new. The laundry mat is new. We approached the Superfund site. It had been enclosed with green wooden walls. Behind those walls were the auto shops and the deli, now empty. But I used to go to this grocery store all the time. Okay. And I, I would run and, you know, get a coffee and a buttered roll, and, you know. Mm-hmm. People were very nice. As we got closer, we saw that some of those walls had graffiti sprayed on them. There was a notice of asbestos abatement right next to a row of wheat-pasted advertisements. Why is Urban Outfitters um, sign over there? I think they're just advertising. Oh, they better be careful. People will think they part of them. <laughs> I'm sure that they know that the community is changing. Julie pointed north of the site just a bit around the corner. There is a a little club they have down here. I call Nowadays. Yeah. And you should, do you ever come around here at night? I don't. One day, get in your car and drive around here. It's a whole different atmosphere around here at night. Julie was laughing as she thought about how much the neighborhood had changed over her lifetime. And she asked me about what will happen after the cleanup. Will they then build again? When the EPA's work is done, the property owners will get their land back, but the buildings that stood there will have been demolished. The land will be clean and they can develop it. I talked to a property owner who didn't want to be named and he was not happy about this arrangement. He said it wasn't fair, he wasn't getting compensated while he couldn't collect rent on his property, even though he still has to pay property taxes. He said he didn't have any ideas yet about what he'd do with the land once he gets it returned to him after the cleanup. While the area is zoned for commercial and industrial uses, it can always get rezoned so that housing can be built. That's why the EPA is focused on getting the cleanup done and done well. The agency is making the assumption that people could live on the site, so they have to make sure it's clean enough for that. The demolition work will continue until spring. After that, the EPA and its contractors will begin to excavate the soil. The EPA's Tom Mongelli has worked on the Wolf Allport site for more than a decade. Since then, he says he's been endlessly fascinated by the site's history. He's seen remnants of the Wolf Allport chemical company's past. If you go there today, you can still see the outlines of where the kilns used to be in the buildings. But Tom's work is future-focused. He must imagine what's to come. What does the site look like 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now? It's impossible to know. But he says the remediation process will take away risks to future workers and residents, 
they won't have to worry. This has been episode three of Hazard NYC, a special four-part limited series from FAQ NYC. The show is written and hosted by Samantha Maldonado and me, Jordan Gosporé, the creator and editor of the show. Our engineers are Adam Kamara and Mark Bush, who also did our sound design. Music for the show was composed by Nick Pennington. Artwork by Matthew Fleming. Come back tomorrow to hear episode four. FAQ NYC is part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc/slash give if you'd like to pitch in. I'm Harry Siegel, FAQ NYC's executive producer. The pod also receives support from PT Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The pod's a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY's City College, where co-host Christina Greer is one of the Moynihan Public Scholars Inaugural Fellows.